Okay, they didn't understand the, the cost of discipleship, the difficulty of following Jesus, and then the birds came, or they didn't have the route to prepare for persecution, and the, the rocky path, or, or the last one that's most uh, important and pressing to Westerners is, is the cares of this age and the deceitfulness of riches, the, the seed among the thorns. Okay, For whatever reason, people came in, believed the gospel, and then strayed off the path. Okay, that the sheep, for some reason, strayed away from the fold. And so this next section of, of teaching from Jesus answers when this happens, what do we do? Okay, When a brother starts to stray, when a sheep is, is lost, what are we to do? And Jesus answers first by showing, opening up his chest and showing us his heart. As a shepherd goes after the sheep and rejoices when it is found, Jesus says to you, to us, verse 14, in the same way. It is not the will of your father that one of these little ones perish. So, when a sheep wanders off, when a believer starts to stray, the father doesn't go, I've got more. Okay? He doesn't do that. It's not the heart of the father. No, it's not his will that they should perish. His heart is moved. God, the heart of God aches over prodigals. Okay? It's not like I had a role here. There's a name on it. Now the name's not on it anymore, and I don't care. It's... It, God is grieved and hurts when people run off. First uh, Timothy 2, 3, and 4, God our Savior who desires, desire, that's a heart uh, emotion word, desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is patient towards you. He's not wishing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, not willing that any should wander off and stay lost, but if they should wander off, that they would turn and, and reach repentance. So when a sheep wanders off, the heart of the shepherd, of our good shepherd, is to bring the sheep home, okay? There's no um, apathy in the Lord's heart when, when one of us walks off. It's just not what he is, is doing, okay? Jesus is, is re-communicating Ezekiel 34, okay? We're going to read at the end of our worship worship today. It, uh, Jesus is the good shepherd. Israel is led by poor shepherds who have not fed the sheep, who have not cared for the sheep, who have not led them into pasture. And Jesus says the good shepherd is coming. Okay? Who will do this? And so this is Jesus' ministry to Israel. It's what he's doing in, in his first coming and will do in finality at a second. Coming to them with the heart of a shepherd to gather them and, and feed them and set them in safety if they'll bear the fruits of repentance, okay? If, I mean, I know, especially Matthew. Like, Matthew is charged with fighting language. Like, like he's always fighting in Matthew with Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. Do you know why? Because he loves them. Yeah. Jesus loves the Pharisees. Jesus loves the Sadducees. Jesus loves the scribes. Jesus loves obstinate, hardened, disobedient Israel. This is why all of his interactions are with them. Amen. If he hated them, he would ignore them, but he, he doesn't, okay? He's the good shepherd going after the sheep, and this is his heart towards you as well, okay? So if you're a believer this morning, and you're beginning to feel the tug of the world, and, and, and be drawn away in the enticement of sin that would lead you to fall away, you need reminded this morning that God's heart is to go after you and not let you go your own way. And he is ready to rejoice when you turn. Okay? This is always the heart of God. God loves you and is a good shepherd and is searching after you. Okay? But if you're an unbeliever and you've never left the flock because you've never been in the flock, it's not the Lord's will that you should perish. 
Okay? That's right. And you as evangelists, you need to know that too. It's not God's will that this one should perish. God loves the unbeliever, gave his son on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins, and by repenting of sin and trusting in the cross, the unbeliever can inherit eternal life, can join the fold. And so if that's you this morning and you're sitting next to a member of our church, talk to them. They can tell you what it means to repent of your sins, trust in Jesus, and follow him into eternal life, okay? So if this is God's heart to go after lost sheep, and this is what Jesus models in his life and in his ministry, what should our heart and our life and our model be? Okay? This is what God is like. This is what Jesus is modeling. What are we to do? The same thing. Okay? The same thing, and that's where Jesus goes. Next, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, okay? Not, not every manuscript has against you, so it could just be if your brother sins. Either way, it, it doesn't matter. If your brother sins, sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone, okay? So, don't not tell him at all. Jesus takes that out. And two, don't go tell someone else his fault. Right. Amen, right? <laughs> Got to be clear on this. Go tell him his fault. So if a brother strays... What is step one? Okay, is it a social media post? Is it a group text that they're not in? No, I need you to. No, okay, no. You see a brother in in sin, a sheep who's wandered off, and you feel the the heart of the father, the heart of a shepherd. You see a brother in sin against you or sin in general. Go and tell the brother, brother. Based on on my perception of this thing, what, what what I'm seeing with my eyeballs. This is sin, and sin leads to death, so let's go back to the fold. Let's not live like pagans anymore. This is, I mean, you might not be as intense as that when you're saying it. You might just be like, hey, what are you doing? But this is, this is the step. You do your best to get the facts. You be honest, and you go to the brother with the purpose of winning them, which is also hugely important to the process, that your heart is to win the brother. Okay? And there's not something wicked going on in you. You don't go with the purpose of katya. Okay? Gotcha, man. We don't go like that. We don't go with some kind of self-righteous one-upmanship. Hey, I would never sin like that. Be more like me. It's not what Jesus says to do. That's not, the, that's not what we're getting in Matthew 18. So the heart of the thing matters, is what I'm saying. And, and the Torah speaks directly to this. Leviticus 19, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Okay? So there's a way a brother can do something and you end up guilty in the deal <laughs> because of your heart, because of how, how you've gone through the thing. So if you follow this step correctly, a brother sins in general or against you and you go to the brother, but with the wrong heart, you are just as guilty as the brother that you're aiming to correct. So we do this all, you know, from step one to step four here. We do all of this with the heart of God, with the heart of the shepherd that Jesus has shown to set up the whole section, right? The purpose of the end of Matthew 18 is not so churches have a manual for church discipline, though it is that. The purpose of Matthew 18 is to say this is the heart of God to restore people, right? Excommunication is like a little part of this. The big thing is the heart of God towards people who stray. This is what we have to have. So if he listens to you, you've done this with the right heart, gone to your brother. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. 
And like the shepherd, you rejoice over the sheep come home. The goal was to restore the brother. And right here, the brother is restored. Hallelujah. Let's go get some pizza. You know, like, it's a good thing. But sometimes, you know, restoring a brother takes more. And the reason it takes more is because humans are horrible. Okay? Just me. All right. Sometimes it takes more. And in the event that... In that, in that event, Jesus gives us another step. Verse 16, but if he won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established, okay? So just like the first instruction, there's also uh, instruction here from the Torah, Deuteronomy 19, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime, for any wrong, in connection with any offense that he has Committed only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So, why do Moses and Jesus call for multiple people at this point? Why, why are they needing more eyes? And one of the reasons is that you, going to the brother, you might not be seeing things clearly, okay? Because, again, you have cloudy judgment sometimes yeah. on some yeah. things. You might go to the brother and you believe something to be sin that's actually not, right? Or, or, or you're just on your high horse, which again, no one here has, but some people do. And this instruction is for them. So Jesus says, Moses says, bring other members of the assembly along and gives more eyes to the things. And they can help adjudicate the thing and say, you know, it's not that big of a deal, right? Or, you know, there's no offense here. Or... More eyes, more people, more spirit-filled believers can say, hey, we agree with Josh here. This does look like sin. Let's turn and get back on the path. And then hopefully the brother, in view of godly, positive, loving peer pressure, sees his error. Oh, two or three are all saying this is wrong. And they turn and they are restored. And then when that happens, like the shepherd, you rejoice over the sheep come home. The goal is to restore the brother. And now the brother's restored. Okay? Step two, but sometimes a brother is so caught up in sin and so hardened in their heart, they won't listen to the smaller group. So the Lord brings up the intensity and teaches, verse 17, but if he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the, tell the church, okay? So if your brother will not respond in loving and pleading of a single brother or a smaller group, Jesus says it's time to inform the congregation, which means it's very important that we know who our members are, right? Tell the church doesn't mean like the global church. Let's We're going to put out a document online for everyone to give their input on. No, the church is, is you, the, the members of the local assembly, okay? It's impossible, impossible to obey Jesus in Matthew 18 if we don't have church membership, if we right. don't know who our members are. This, Matthew 18 is one, one of the main reasons We've spent so much oxygen and ink working on defining our membership and working on those membership commitments to make our membership meaningful and clear so that, God forbid, in the event we do this and we have to tell it to the church, we know who the church is. Okay? Yep. We know who our members are. Okay? So at this point, you know, whatever's happened, you've kept it as quiet and as private as you possibly can, doing due diligence, make sure I've got all the facts and, and, and our hearts are right before the Lord and our hearts are right towards our brother, but the brothers still not listen. And so we inform the church in hope that as the sin is made more known and as more people, people who have committed to loving and, and, and 
caring for and serving this brother in love, the more people call him back to love and call him to the fold, he actually comes back. And his eyes are open and he repents. And if he does, like the shepherd, we rejoice at the sheep come home. The goal is to restore the brother. And now, at, at this point, which, I mean, the, the, like, again, hopefully we never have to do this. But can you imagine the joy in the congregation if a brother that I've been going to, a couple guys have been going to for months and months and months and months. Then we take it to the church, and, and at that point, when, when the whole community knows and the whole community is heartbroken over sin, the brother, with tears in his eyes, turns to the Lord and repents, parte! It would, just, it would be just absolute joy because we have the heart of the shepherd here who says when the sheep comes home, what's he filled with? Absolute joy, right? Luke, Luke 15, right? The, the, the prodigal son comes home. What do we got? Ring on his finger, rope on his back, kill the fatted calf. We're having a party. It's a big, joyous, happy deal when a sinner repents and turns to the Lord, especially one who has turned to the Lord, gone away, and then turns back. It's like double rejoicing, right? The second time I've done this. It's a, it's a big deal. The goal in, in confronting sin is never to run a brother off. It's always to bring him home. Yes. Right? Like, so, you know, you, you read Matthew 18, and you're like, man, that sounds negative and harsh and whatever. It's, no, it's not. This is a positive thing to bring someone back into the fold, okay? But if that doesn't work, Okay, I've pled. Multiple people have pled. The church ha has gathered and, and pled. If that doesn't work, the next step is to remove the person from the body, to, to remove them from membership. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you, which means this. Okay, we've brought the person into the front door of the house through baptism, and then we, we ate uh uh, the Lord's Supper in, in the dining room of, of the house. When we're doing that, okay, when we baptize and we admit people to, to the table here, we're telling the world this person is a follower of Jesus. We're, we're telling the world this person is bearing the fruits of repentance. This person represents Jesus and Jesus' people. What we're doing in baptism, what we're doing at the Lord's table is we're saying we vouch for their confession, okay? They have a right confession and a right heart and a right lifestyle. But now, due to their unrepentant sin and their sin-hardened heart, we're using the back door of the house now. Okay, we brought you in. We had dinner with you. Now we're sending you out the back door saying we can no longer affirm this person as a follower of Jesus based on their unrepentance. We can no longer affirm this person as bearing the fruits of repentance. We can no longer say... This person represents Jesus and Jesus' people. What we're saying, we can no longer vouch for this person's confession. We did. We, we baptized him. We, we ate the Lord's table with him. Now we can't do these things. Based on their, their, their life and their unrepentant heart, we cannot say this person is one of us. This person will inherit eternal life. So members of our church... I'll tell the whole world that Joe Craiger will inherit eternal life. Okay? Fruits of repentance. I'm a member of a church with him. This guy's going to eternal life. Stephanie, you're going to inherit eternal life. No problem telling people that. At, at this point, though, when they've just borne fruits of unrepentance, we can't tell the world that anymore. Okay? 
Titus 3 as for a person who stirs up division. A little different context, but same application after warning him once and then twice have nothing to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he is self-condemned so it's not that we're condemning the man okay it's not like man that church is just so mean the guy did it to himself okay he, he is he's self-condemned he's done it himself okay so you might hear this you're reading through your gospel and you, and you read matthew 18 and think what well, it's not our job to judge okay it's not our job to, to make those kinds of judgments. Jesus is the judge, and that's not true. This actually is our job, and it's what Jesus says in the next verse. Truly I tell you, whatever you, gathered local church, bind on earth, will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Okay? So Matthew 18, 16, or 18, 18 here isn't about spiritual warfare or, or whatever else you might have heard. It's about the authority of the gathered church under God to make these decisions, okay? You guys gather two or more in prayer in my name and agree in my name and bind on earth. I'm going to count it in heaven, okay? It's got the authority. It's Jesus saying, if my people gather in my name, which we're doing right now, follow my instructions, the first part of 18, and then 19 and 20, agree in prayer, right? I don't have to say this, but I will say this. If this kind of thing ever came up, we would fast and pray and fast and pray and fast and pray and fast and pray to get God's heart on the deal. And Jesus says, I am there and heaven will back those decisions, both to bring a brother in, bind, and kick a brother out loose. Blessed Hope translation reads it this way. Whatever restrictions or discipline you pronounce on earth will have been pronounced in heaven. And whatever freedoms or pardons you pronounce on earth will have been pronounced in heaven. So Jesus gives, right? Matthew 16, Matthew 18, the, the keys of the kingdom. Jesus gives gathered local bodies authority to judge those in the body. Okay, to make decisions based on the fruits of repentance or unrepentance. So it's the same flavor of, of John 20, 23. Do we have it up there? If you've ever read John 20, 23, and went, oh. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. If you ever read that, what's going on there? It sounds super Roman Catholic. Okay, it, it's the same thing here. The Lord has charged his people to walk before him in love and humility and to make judgments and make decisions as it concerns the lives of the people. Okay, so th this is our job. Okay, not to run around and, and be the sinful least or whatever, but should it ever get to the point where, where a brother or a sister is just refusing to walk in repentance, refusing to, to have their life match the confession that they made in baptism and they make every week at the Lord's Supper, Jesus says it's up to you guys to kick them out, okay, to, be, to have them be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. In the same heart that's been the whole thing. It's done in love. Okay? It's done like maybe this will be the final wake-up call. The last thing that a whole congregation, or a small one, two or three, can say, we, we can't affirm your confession anymore. Okay? So, if this feels off, and it probably, probably does, okay? Um, for lots of reasons, right? So, whenever I bring this up, uh, one of the first things I hear is nobody else does it. That's a bad reason not to do something, by the way. Okay. Nobody else does it. 
We don't want to be the sin police or make people feel like they got to put on a show so they don't kick out. That, that's a good reason. Uh, churches welcome people in. They don't kick them out. That, that's a good reason. Or talk about unloving. Like, with the exception of the first one, all of those things are, are valid points. But for, you know, reasons not to obey Jesus in these things. But for all the reasons not to obey Matthew 18, should it come up. And just... This is one of the blessings of, of just teaching through the Bible week after week. I come to a passage like this, and everyone's like, who's he talking about? <laughs> no, we're just in Matthew 18. Right? That's where we ended up, okay? For all the reasons not to do it, there are better reasons to do it, okay? And just in general, it's always better to obey Jesus than, than not. Okay, so first is the church's obedience. Jesus is the head of the church, Colossians 1.18, okay? If he is the head, our feelings are not. Okay. Just in general, good practice, Matthew 18, still, still applied. It's, it'd be one thing to delay practicing this form of discipline because we're trying to teach and understand it and be wise and working through it. It would be another thing to know what Jesus says in Matthew 18 and simply refuse to do it. Okay? And I've had this conversation. Okay? So we were talking about the Bible, brought this up, said, hey, here, here's, what, here's how Jesus says to deal with these things and work through these things. And love, and this person who's, who's, a, who's a believer, I, I will enjoy the age to come with this person for endless ages, said, I don't care what it says, we'll never do that. And I, I was like, oh, brother. <laughs> so I went to the brother and told him. <laughs> now I'm telling you that, oh, I need my help. Okay, the point is, sorry. Guys, I'm, I'm going on vacation tomorrow, so I'm not at all here. <laughs> the point is... If Jesus tells us to do hard things because they're hard and they feel uncomfortable, is not a reason not to do it. Okay, we obey Jesus in, in love. Second reason we would do this is for the church's health. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. It's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. So where's the immorality that Paul's talking about? Is that in the world? Well, among you, in the church. Uh, among you and of a kind that's not tolerated by the pagans. So it's so bad in the church, even the pagan world is looking at the church like gross. Okay? Uh, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed. Right? That third step, cut out surgically from among you. Okay? So, so this sort of, of, of discipline in, in the initial ways and then in the big way is meant to save the body from sin that leads to death. And so if churches allow and, and, and uh, encourage even unrepentant sin to go unchecked, they are ruined. Paul says so later in, in verse 6. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Okay? You can't, like a couple weeks ago, last week, a couple weeks ago, Aiken, there's, there's sin in the camp and it infects the, the whole camp. Okay, you can't get past this thing. So if we care about our church's health and our life and, and our vitality, then we must do surgery when Jesus calls for it. Okay, if you got gangrene, you chop off the arm to save the rest of the body. Third, the church's testimony. First Peter two, beloved, I urge you keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So how we live, how we deal with righteousness and sin matters to our testimony. So back to 1 Corinthians 5. One of Paul's chief problems is that the town, right, the pagan world, they knew this man was sinning in this way. Right? It wasn't a secret. They knew. And then the entire town knew, that, knew this was happening. And the entire town knew the church was doing nothing about it. 
Like that's what bugs Paul. And so for the sake of our testimony among the pagans, we obey Jesus in church discipline. And finally, and, and, and joyfully and happily, the most important reason that we obey Jesus is to save souls from death. This is why. James 5, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering saves his soul from death. Hallelujah. This is the goal. Okay? This is not to be the Gestapo, to be Christians, to, to love each other, to restore them to Jesus and restore them to the assembly unto eternal life, okay? We obey Jesus in Matthew 18 because we don't want people to get thrown into a lake of fire. We want them to inherit eternal life. And you have to love someone enough to be uncomfortable enough to go and do it, to actually say the thing. It, <laughs> it's not a small thing. Robert, if you come so last, last thing here, Galatians 6.1, kind of a governing passage for the whole thing. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, caught here, it, the, the word is not like earlier, caught yet, right? Swing the door open, caught yet. If anyone is caught in a, in a transgression, it's like an animal in a trap, right? Like a bear trap. If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should what? Pretend you don't see it and leave them there? Okay? Press that steel deeper into their flesh? Those are two options. Jesus has a better way. If anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Take the flesh, take the steel out of his flesh. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Okay? So we don't read Matthew 18 with our noses up in the air. We don't, we don't read Matthew 18 with, with a, a heart that says, oh my God, I could never, how could they? We don't read Matthew 18 that way. We, and just in general, if you don't want to like a fire, don't read any of your Bible that way. We read these kinds of hard passages that call us to confront sin in our own, earlier in Matthew, in our own lives, later in Matthew, in the lives of others. In a spirit of gentleness. For how has the Lord dealt with you? If you don't know, gently. <laughs> gently. And so, again, you're, you guys are a mature congregation. It's a pretty simple passage. Jesus isn't doing gymnastics here. Really simple. So I just want to remind you and, and exhort you and encourage you today that this is the kind of community we want to be a part of. This is kind of vibe we want to have is that we love each other, are committed to, to serving and caring for each other, even in even in this, okay? Like, if you really love me, you will say, brother, I, I think that's sin, I think that's going off the path. And by the grace of God, I've grown up in this congregation, I've had brothers and sisters do that. Come to me and say, yeah, I don't, not, well, obviously they said, I don't think that's the right thing to do, but also, yeah, that, that might be sin, yeah turn from it. And it turned. And we're done. And we go have pizza. Like, I just, I want to be a part of it. Uh, a community that loves me enough to keep me on the path. And when I repent, receive me and restore me gently and 
imitation of our of our good shepherd. Okay, this is how Jesus has treated us. This is how we are to treat and relate to one another. So let's pray. Father, we ask you for help. God, and we pray, we're, we're, we pray with all sincerity, God, that you would keep us from ever having to work through the end of this thing. God, that in all of our interactions with each other and as we walk on, on the path and start to, to stray, I ask that you would give us a, a, a humble heart, God, a heart full of humility, that when a brother comes to us and says, hey, that looks like sin to me, we repent and turn right back on the path right then. So first, we ask you, God, just keep us away from the end of this. Keep us from, from straying. It's our, our prayer of song at the end today. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it from the ends of Second, we ask, God, that um, should we have to walk in these things, that we would have the Spirit of God leading us, that we would do so um, gently, like Paul instructs us to. for um, this family here, this community here. Thank you for the promises that we've made to each other, God, to love and serve and care for each other and keep each other on the path unto eternal life. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.